Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 54 of the Brown County Hour. This is Vera Grubbs. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This month, we'll be sharing our WFHB Fall Fun Drive show, so the format is a little different. The show will be broken into four 11-minute segments, with three live presentations from our crew members in between. In our first segment, we'll present an interview with Nathan Dillon and listen to his tune, Rolling River. It's our pleasure this evening to have Nathan Dillon from the Aker Brothers with us. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to have you. So, uh, you know, I'm looking over your bio here. And so you went to Indiana University and the Brooklyn Conservatory studying guitar. Amongst the other things here is that you are the director of the music education company, Everybody Rocks. That's, yeah. that's right. What um, is that? Well, Everybody Rocks provides music classes, primarily rock band classes, to after-school programming here in southern Indiana for schools, as well as up in Chicagoland, Evanston, Oak Park, Wilmette area, and in Chicago itself. We have done rock band classes for many, many years, which is guitar, bass, drums, keys, singing, for mostly elementary-age kids getting young kids trying out instruments and uh, learning how to put music together in a group and how to listen and work as a group. And uh, in the last few years, we've started expanding into other age groups and other populations, but that's uh, our focus is still primarily on after-school programming. Man, you're traveling back and forth uh, through southern Indiana and Chicago. <laughs> I do. I actually travel to Chicago once a week to teach through the Old Town School of Folk Music's outreach program. I teach in a juvenile detention center up there and have for five years, and I can't I can't seem to quit it, even though I live down here. <laughs> well, man, that's too much Dan Ryan Expressway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so tell me about the band. I mean, the Aker Brothers. Uh, you've got one, two, three, four members, as I see here, including yourself. We got together about four years ago. My brother-in-law, Ben Cole, and myself. Ben is the singer. I'm the guitar player and the songwriter. And uh, our bass player, Marty Ron, joined pretty soon after that. And we've changed drummers and keyboard players a couple of times. Right now, our drummer is uh, Kristen Olson. She just graduated with a master's degree in percussion from IU, and she's incredible. So Brothers is a little misleading now since we, we have a sister in our group. <laughs> but um, <laughs> So we've had a little bit of a revolving door at some of those positions, but the core group has been the same for years now, and it's great. It just keeps getting better. Yeah, so. And you've just come out with a new project, right? A new recording project. That's right. Uh, we, the Acre Brothers put out our first EP. It's called So Many Roads. It's available on all downloading sites. You can buy it on our website. 
It's also on Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's great fun. Uh, we recorded it at Farm Fresh, which is a studio out on 45. It's in a converted church. That's just an amazing space. Yeah. I'm when we'll go back out there again in the fall uh, yeah. to do this all over again. So I, I have a couple of questions uh, for those listeners out there. I'll let you know that I had the pleasure of making your acquaintance a few weeks ago for the first time when we shared uh, an evening at the Bloomington Songwriters Showcase. That's and right. of course, I was listening, and there were a couple of things that you said that really piqued my interest that I wanted to ask a little more about oh, and cool. uh, didn't get a chance. So now I get the chance, I guess. One is, you know, you mentioned just a minute ago that you, you're the guitar player and you write the songs. Mm-hmm. And I think you said something along the lines of, I used to be a guitar player who kind of tried to write songs, and now I think of myself more as a songwriter who also plays guitar. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of what that little journey or transition was like for you? Absolutely. I always was a guitar player first, came to singing later, and then writing after that. I've been writing all of my adult life off and on, having periods of really doing it a lot and then putting it, putting it aside, gaining confidence, losing confidence, that kind of thing. But about three years ago, the first time that this band played one of my songs that had been bouncing around in my head for years, and I heard it through my ears instead of in my mind, mm. that changed everything. To hear something that had been bouncing around in my head for so long, to be in the real world and being played better than I could have done it myself because it's a group of people that are really good at what they do. And right. so to hear it come back to me in a new way. Like enhanced almost. Like Absolutely even more enhanced. than you imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, that's well, awesome. that's the power of collaboration. That's right. It is. It's the power of collaboration and the power of listening to each other. And mm-hmm. once that happened the first time, I well, that was it. I was like going off the deep end. I was hooked <laughs> because I had had all these pieces of songs or s- complete songs bouncing around in my head for so long. I usually use the example of if you have like a a machine sitting in your driveway that's broken, but you know how to fix it and you walk by it every day going to work and you're like, oh, there's that thing I know how to fix, but I, I just haven't done it yet. And then you come home and there it is still. That's what it's like to have a song in your head that doesn't get out is to have this thing there that you know how to do and it's not been realized. So once that happened, once that kind of clicked on, I became immersed in it in a totally new way. That's awesome. So Nathan, where can we get a hold of you? Do you have a website? I do. Um, I have a couple of websites. There's the every. If you want to learn about the uh, music education stuff, that's everybodyrocks.net. Uh, the Acre Brothers is theacrebrothers.com. Excellent. Awesome. A Facebook page as well. Of course. If yeah. You, yeah. That's 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 uh, mandatory. mandatory. Yeah. All the, all that's the exactly interweb it. presences, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming in this evening. I really appreciate this. And uh, I got a chance to hear your music, and I thought the quality of it was really outstanding. I'm sure the audience will enjoy it. Well, thank you so much. I hope everybody feels that way. Watching you 
we pause for station identification. Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Segment two will begin with the second part of Jeff Tryon's story about the early artists in Brown County. Don Crum will share some information about the Brown County Rock and Mineral Show, and we'll hear the tune She from Nathan Dillon. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. 
The more I thought about what really makes Brown County Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. We return now to our story of the early artists in Brown County. Some of the artists, like Steele and Schultz, most of them probably, were attracted to Brown County by its stunning natural beauty, the rumpled hills and narrow gullies, winding creek beds and hogback ridges. Like Van Gogh in Arles, they perceived here a different quality of light, a range of naturally occurring colors unimagined, even unbelieved, by artists elsewhere. Others found their subjects among the people and their ways, which seemed somehow frozen in the past. Ada Walter Schultz made people the focus of her work and was fond of mother and child portraits, Brown County Madonnas. Carl Graff and George Lachance painted native Brown Countyans at work, horses and wagons. Marie Goff was the colony's most successful portrait painter, the first woman to paint the official portrait of the Indiana governor. The Brown County Art Colony was notable for the success and influence of several women artists, including Goth, her sister Genevieve, Ada Schultz, Lucy Hartrath, and others. In 1926, the Brown County Artists Association was formed and opened a gallery in a storefront on West Main Street that held around 50 paintings. By 1931, as many as 2,500 people visited the gallery in a single day. By 1935, 18 artists lived in Brown County full-time, supporting themselves with their artistic efforts, and as many as 30 seasonal artists made the trek to Brown County for the summer painting season. Some of the natives tried to accommodate the newcomers, perhaps even profit from them. Molly Ferguson washed their laundry, and Bill Pittman rented them rooms. Others of the natives feared, loathed, and distrusted the outsiders, who they correctly understood were the vanguard of enormous changes harbingers of a very different future for Brown County. Whatever happened to the Pittman House, that nest of transient painters which swelled with customers during fine weather, then emptied out as winter came on and the artists flocked back to the city with a summer's worth of memories and canvases to try and sell. As the story goes, the good townsfolk at the Christian church downtown, which adjoined the Pittman House, grew weary of emerging from Sunday morning worship to the spectacle of a front porch full of artists smoking and cutting up, having obviously shirked their weekly religious duties. When the opportunity presented itself, the church fathers purchased the Pittman House and had it raised, burned to the ground, and transformed it into a parking lot, which it remains to this day. This is a good window not only on how the natives viewed the artists, but on how real estate politics in Nashville works. The artists were the first of many to commoditize the culture of Brown County, to capture the intangible beauty and attitude of the place and its people, and figure out a way to turn that into hard cash to sell it to other outsiders. The painters sold their canvases in distant cities, Frank Hohenberger eked out a living with his photos of a place that time had seemingly forgotten and his weekly dispatches to the Indianapolis Star down in the hills of Brown. Ken Hubbard made a career out of Abe Martin. The artists went native to a greater or lesser degree. Some, like Steele, settled in, but kept other irons in the fire. 
Others, like Marie Goth and her circle and Schultz and his, put down real roots in Brown County, poured themselves into the culture and the community. We have them to thank for the Brown County Art Gallery and the Brown County Art Guild, the incomparable, enduring gift of Marie Goth. Some, many, came for the season or just for a short while, maybe just to see what all the fuss was about, to marinate with kindred spirits and soak up the rural, rustic atmosphere, to paint for a season or several and then move on. We should remember that the idea of art colonies was then blooming all across America. Gustav Bauman, for example, spent several years making his complicated color woodblock prints of scenes in and around Nashville, then migrated to the highly percolating artist colony at Provincetown, where he observed and learned from the white line printing movement in vogue there, before eventually finding a home in the Santa Fe and Albuquerque art communities. Likewise, the idea of artist associations with their own galleries was spreading in U.S. art circles as a way of bypassing juried academic shows for a better opportunity to more effectively reach the buying public. So it was the artists themselves who had this notion, this vision of an artist colony, a rural attractive area where they could congregate with like minds for a season, a few years, or a lifetime to pursue their artistic vision perhaps drawing on the resource of natural rural influences, bathing in the creative flow of fellow creators. So there was helpful cross-pollination going on throughout the whole art scene in America, and Brown County was just an expression of that. They painted a world of tranquility and simplicity, the ageless beauty of the natural world, and like Brown County itself, the artists of Brown County Colony were conservative, loath to change, sticking with their realist sensibilities as abstract impressionism swept the art world in the 1940s and 50s. By the 1940s, the colony began to decline, or at least change dramatically. The original artists were dying out or moving on. Especially after the Second World War, Brown County began to noticeably modernize to catch up with the world around it. A lot of the magic, especially of a world gone by, of a long-lost yesteryear, begin to disappear. There are, of course, many, many interesting storylines and anecdotes about the original artist colony, too numerous to mention here. But suffice it to say, my Brown County would not be what it is today, for better or for worse, without the influence of its original artist's colony. Hello, my name is Don Crum. I've lived here in Brown County most of my life. I'm with the Brown County Rock and Mineral Club. We're about to host our first annual Rock and Mineral Club show and swap at the History Center in Nashville. The event will be Friday, September 30th, 2016, and Saturday, October 1st, 2016. The time of the show will be 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and we'll have vendors from across the country vending things such as uh, mineral spears, healing stones, jewelry, fossils, and minerals from all over the world. We hope to see you there.
path for station identification. Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. segment begins with Jim Eagleman's nature series, this time about geology, and we'll hear Carrie Ray's guitar story. Hello, this is Jim Eagleman reporting with another segment of Nature News for WFHB Radio, the Brown County Hour. 
Have you ever wondered how we got the soils and rocks that exist here in Brown County? What geologic forces here were at work to create the hills, ravines, and ridges we all now enjoy? To understand what bedrock we have and how it got here, we have to recall some of our distant past, think in terms of landscapes that don't exist now, and visualize a large and ancient sea that once covered the land. Geologists tell us it was nearly 400 million years ago when what is now southern Indiana was covered in a shallow sea. Much of the country wasn't what it looks like now, with parts of massive continents pushed together in a giant landmass called Pangaea. To visualize this ancient sea, think of a sandy shoreline you may have walked along by Lake Michigan or Superior, or maybe a large river. It stretched for miles with waves and currents that were sometimes violent or calm. Sand held in suspension and possibly Appalachian Mountain in origin was deposited along this watercourse, compressed into layers that's called lithification, and hardened over eons of time. The fossil record we find in our area reveals animals and plants from both a freshwater and a marine environment. But for nearby Monroe County's limestone to exist in such large quantities as we know, the body of water that covered that landscape must have been all marine or salt water. Tiny shelled creatures, some not so tiny, many bivalves, mollusks, and clam-like animals lived and died there, their bodies decomposed into the seabed and compressed into the strata we now see expressed as huge outcroppings of Indiana limestone. Nearby Bedford, Indiana, south of Bloomington, is the limestone capital of the world, whereas here in Brown County, very little, if any, limestone exists. Some of our history books relate a thin limestone cap that persisted when the first settlers arrived, but it was soon depleted. Rather, our bedrock is almost exclusively sandstone, and while both sandstone and limestone are known as sedimentary rocks, being layered down and cemented together over much time, limestone has a more dense and tightly packed structure that allows it to be worked into building materials we see at IU and on many local buildings. In fact, Indiana limestone has been used throughout the world in the construction of the Empire State Building in New York City, the U.S. Capitol, and the Kremlin in Moscow. The next chapter in our geologic past and occurring much more recently reveals the action of glaciers, the most well-known and significant being the Wisconsin Glacier that moved into the Midwest and existed here as recently as 15,000 years ago. Long before now, the continents gradually drifted into nearly their present shape. The North American Ice Age is known by geologists as an incredibly important time when a massive cooling period over the entire planet resulted in huge ice fields, about four of them in number being supported. Think of glaciers moving across the Indian landscape like a giant snowplow, filling in depressions and removing elevated areas. If you've done any traveling, you know Indiana in the northern part to be very flat. The southern half varied in its relief. When the plow retreats, in its wake has left a lot of debris known as glacial till. We can trace the southernmost advance of any glacier, the Wisconsin Glacier named from where it did the most extensive work, by looking for evidence of this till. For example, we see granite boulders that don't belong here pushed down from the north along a jagged line near the Bean Blossom Creek. As glaciers existed here, sometimes hundreds of feet thick, they reacted to the gradually warming southern temperatures. It was glacial meltwater then, simply put, moving past this soft sandstone at our feet that created the hills and hollers of Brown County. The action of erosion can be understood every time we turn on a garden hose. Water will follow the path of least resistance. 
so too will water follow the same stream course, deepening and widening ravines with each form of precipitation, rain, snow, sleet, dew, or flooding. Water has a tremendous capacity to change landscapes. So are Brown County hills and flood plains, ridge tops and slopes that impress at any season from any view are simply the result of water moving past soft rock. It may not be as impressive as giant grinding volcanic eruptions or massive landslides, but it helps make this area so uniquely rugged, picturesque, and a place that attracts our many fans to Brown County, Indiana. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Eaglin with another segment of Nature News, WFHB Radio, the Brown County Hour. For comments and questions, please contact me at this radio station's email address, studio at browncountyhour.com. I'm Carrie Ray with another installment of Forest Song. I like stories, like hearing them, like telling them like making them up. But it's better yet when a good story actually happens to you. And as I left home on a sunny Wednesday morning a few weeks ago, I had no idea the story that was in store for me that day. It started the Saturday before. Well, actually, like most good stories, it started well before. But we'll get to that. Let's see. Yes, that Saturday before, I was playing a show at the local winery and my instrument cable gave up the ghost. From rocking to rigor in a split second. Fortunately, I buy cables that are guaranteed for life. It dies, you just take it in and swap it for a new one. So now it was Wednesday and I was headed to the big box guitar store in Greenwood on the way to an indie rehearsal to get a new one. Until I decided at the last minute to go to the one on the north side. As I stood chatting with my pal, new cable in hand, something in the next room caught my eye. A lovely little Collings 01 guitar with a beautiful sunburst. Now, for those who know me well, it's no surprise that a sexy little guitar drew my attention. But to say it caught my eye is a bit of an understatement, I suppose. The sight of it raised the hair on the back of my neck. You see, it bore a striking resemblance to an identical guitar of mine that was stolen, along with a good portion of my music gear when my car was broken into four and a half years before. It was the first boutique guitar I'd ever owned. I sold other gear, scraped and saved, and finally had enough put together to buy it in October of 2011, shortly after my move to Brown County. After several years of trying to become the artist others wanted me to be, that little sweetie was one of the tools I planned to use in my quest to reconnect with my voice and fall in love with making music again. But our affair was short. By February, she was gone. After apologizing to my buddy for the distraction, I headed out to the van with a mind to the next errand. Well, not quite. I was haunted by that guitar. So after some failed attempts to come up with a serial number, I put a call into Collings down in Austin, and they pulled it up for me from my original warranty card. Just as I was dialing the phone to ask my buddy to compare numbers, the guy walked out, placed the case in the back seat of his Cadillac, and drove off. So that was that. Or was it? If he didn't sell it here, maybe he was headed to another music store to see if he could get a better price. And there were two such stores within a mile radius. Adrenaline pumping and heart racing, I pointed the van toward the first of them and fired up the engine. As luck or fate would have it, I sat behind him at the next traffic light and could tell by his lack of turn signal just where he was bound. I quickly looked up the number and called ahead to the shop. After a quick intro and an odd request, the manager had the serial number and my phone number, and I had a promise for a call back in the off chance that we had a match. 
The light turned green, and I followed the caddy across the street, pulling into a spot a few stores down from the music shop. I'm sure I wasn't as inconspicuous as I hoped in our big tour van, but I wasn't going far until I had an answer. Ten minutes later, my phone rang, and the voice on the other end said, That's your guitar. I was both absolutely and not at all surprised. I didn't know that was a thing, but it is. Like my outer, everyday person couldn't believe what my inside person had already been completely sure about. So now what? The store manager had no idea what to do in this case, as it had never happened before. So I reached out to my friend Paula, who proudly serves on the IMPD force, and once she was sure I had a positive ID and that the police report had been filed, she told me I should call and ask for an officer to be dispatched. The officer arrived, and after a short delay, due to the fact that the report was so old it had to be pulled from an archived system, he walked out to the parking lot and placed the case in my hand. As I've told this story over the past few weeks, besides being amazed, folks have had a couple questions. First, they want to know what happened to the guy who was trying to sell my little 01. Well, his story was that he bought it off the street a couple years ago, which is altogether likely. So he's just out whatever he paid or bartered for it. And that's okay with me. I learned a long time ago that trying to complete the circle of karma was not my job and have no interest in tainting the joy of restoration with the blight of spite. The second question is what sort of shape she was in. Well, the not-so-great news is that she had been allowed to dry out, resulting in a small top crack and a lifting bridge. Fortunately, fixes quite doable for an accomplished luthier like mine. But like most, this coin has two sides. The great news? Based on the dust, dings, gunk on the fretboard, and pick marks on the top, this little baby's been played over the past four and a half years. A lot. She's obviously had quite an adventure in her time away, and now that she's back in my arms, I can't wait to coax her into telling me all of her secrets. Oh, I'm also seriously considering the advice I've been given to go out straight away and buy a lotto ticket. I'm Carrie Ray, the girl with a prodigal guitar, wishing you Godspeed and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y. Com. Thanks for listening. In our final segment, we'll begin with Dave Seastrom sharing some reflections about WFHB. And we'll close with Nathan Dillon's tune, Beat the Path. In one of our recent shows, we celebrated the sixth anniversary of the Brown County Hour. This episode was an enjoyable look back in time. During this show, we shared the work of several guests who graced our studio with stories and essays and lots of good music that we've had the privilege to present over the years. It's important to note that the Brown County Hour is part of a much bigger family, collectively known as WFHB. I think our show is the perfect example of what volunteer-powered community radio is all about. As we were reminiscing on that show, we shared a little bit of our origin story, and it's clear that without the support and encouragement from fellow members of our community here in Brown County, this show would never have happened. It's also clear that without our partnership with WFHB, the opportunity for a local show wouldn't be there in the first place. Let me take a few seconds to read our mission statement. WFHB exists to provide an open forum for the exchange and discussion of ideas and issues. 
to celebrate the local cultural diversity. Friends, this is what I'm talking about. Our show is one of many that represent the fulfillment of this mission. WFHB presents programming that covers a huge amount of diversity. Music programs that range from jazz to Celtic, Americana to cutting edge, and music from the entire world. There are also music shows presented live that feature the local music community. When it comes to the discussion of ideas and issues, WFHB is unparalleled. We have the multiple award-winning daily local news compiled by citizen journalists, Democracy Now!, which focuses on stories that other media outlets often ignore, and there are the community advocate shows like Bring It On, which represents the black community, Blooming Out, representing the LBGT interest and concerns, and Ola Bloomington, that shares Latin music and Latino community issues. These are just a few examples of the diversity you can find on WFHB, and I suspect that if you are listening to my voice, you already know what I'm talking about. I've been listening to WFHB since the early days on Radio Ridge back in 1993, and it's been a real privilege to listen to the station as it's grown over the years. Just to share the depth of my commitment to this station, let me tell you what it was like to listen before Brown County raised the funds for the translator, which gave us the 100.7 FM signal that enhances our reception here in the county. Even though we live on a ridgetop, when all we could receive was the 91.3 FM, there were certain places in our house that clearly received the signal, and one place on the screen porch. To this day, those locations are where we keep the radios. There were different areas in the vegetable garden where the portable radio could pick up a signal, but it wasn't universal. Tuned into the station, I would be grooving to some hot zydeco or moving my hips to a lively Latin number and bend down to pull out some weeds only to receive a completely different station. This was not to my liking, but I put up with it just so I could hear WFHB. When I was a contractor, there were several factors that determined whether I would take a particular job. Aside from the usual concerns about the difficulty of the work or whether I had enough help to pull it off, I considered it critical to be able to receive WFHB. In my opinion, this was about quality of life. I'm mentioning all of this because I know I'm not alone. I've had several conversations over the years with people who share this view, and I'm guessing if you're listening during Fun Drive, you feel the same way. Here's the thing. Even though we have a tiny underpaid staff, and most of the operations of this station are covered by the almost 200 volunteers, it still requires an enormous amount of money to keep us on the air. Twice a year, we come to you to ask for your support, and to be completely honest, we need your help. Those of us who volunteer by being DJs, or doing research for our news programming, or even working to produce the Brown County Hour, also donate to WFHB. We do this because we love the programming and because it's the right thing to do. It's true that the signal comes over the airwaves for free, but it's also true that without your support, this station wouldn't exist. So here it is, friends. If you like what you hear and you're willing to become a member of the family, please step up and share some of your hard-earned cash and help keep Volunteered Power Community Radio thriving in South Central Indiana. Like I said, it's about quality of life. If you agree, please help us out. Thank you for your consideration. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
cans in the plastic bags, boy, you gotta beat that path. Ain't no sign of your sister, your mama took the car, mister, you gotta beat that path. Pictures by the back door, dead men broke before they could have beat that path. You gotta break rocks above or underground. You gotta beat that path. You hear me? You hear me? You hear me? Stain off your face, you're just a little late. Sure, it's a little boring, but it's safe and clean, and that's more than you can say for the rest of the week. Just read this morning, or oh, Henry Rome from prison, hey. The night is still. Everybody hear my call as I leave y'all. We'll be that back. Hear me?
Thanks for tuning in to episode 54 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks that believe the world is for everyone. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Oh.